history of vegetarianism and veganism in the great world religions of the East and the West. Today on Spiritual Awakening Radio, my name is James Bean. Visit my website, spiritualawakeningradio.com. At the website, there is a link to a donate button. There are also links to podcasts available on demand. Social media, daily spiritual quotes taking place at Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter. Links to my newsletter at Yahoo Groups, Blogger, and WordPress. Much there at the website, spiritualawakeningradio.com. If you hear any quotes you like and want to have a copy of anything you hear on today's program, you can send me an email or otherwise get in touch with me for any reason by sending me an email at this address, james at spiritualawakeningradio.com. A vegetarian is someone who does not eat meat. Fish, fowl, red meat, doesn't matter, any kind of meat, they do not eat meat. A vegan is someone who not only doesn't eat meat, but they also do not believe in any exploitation of animals or suffering of animals or use of animal products such as dairy, including cheese, milk, eggs as well, probably doesn't wear leather, may not eat honey, no animal products whatsoever. For most of the last 2,000 years, those who have abstained from eating the flesh of animals have been known as Pythagoreans. In a conversation with Dr. Will Tuttle, author of the book The World Peace Diet, he mentioned that Pythagoras was an extremely influential philosopher, kind of the king of the sages of the Western world, one of the earliest and one of the most heavyweight of the sages of the Western world. And before the term vegetarian got invented, before the term vegan was coined in antiquity, and for most of the last 2,000 years, those who have abstained from eating animals have been known, have been called Pythagoreans. Such was the influence of Pythagoras upon the whole Western world. Pythagoras was opposed to all senseless, ridiculous, meaningless animal sacrifice, ritual sacrifice of animals for religious purposes in various temples of uh, paganism, various pagan temples. And, you know, the Essene branch of Judaism also adhered to that. The Essenes were vegetarians, and were totally opposed to all animal sacrifice in the Temple of Jerusalem. And the Jesus movement came out of the Essene branch of Judaism. I have a podcast, I have an earlier program that explores the vegetarianism of the original Hebrew Christians or Jesus movement, sometimes called the Nazareans or the Ebionites, or Yeshua movement, the followers of Christ or, as I call it sometimes, Christianity before Paul and the Romans. They came out of that Essene movement and were opposed to all animal sacrifice 
as was Pythagoras in ancient times. Pythagoras says, as long as man continues to be ruthless, to be the ruthless destroyer of lower living beings, he will never know health or peace. For as long as men massacre animals, they will kill each other. Indeed, he who sows the seed of murder and pain cannot reap joy and love. And Pythagoras was correct about the last 2,000 years of human history, which has had a lot of sacrifice of humans and animals and wars. The Western world would have done well for itself to follow, to adhere to the ethical teachings and wisdom of the great sage Pythagoras of the Western world. A vegetarian is someone who doesn't eat meat. A vegan does not wear leather, doesn't consume dairy products, takes things a step further, is more consistent across the spectrum, across the board. Compassion all of the time and applying it to all circumstances. In the 3rd century AD, there was a Neoplatonist philosopher by the name of Porphyry, and in his book On Abstinence from Beings with a Soul, he once wrote, If, however, someone should think it is unjust to kill animals, such a one should neither use milk, nor wool, nor sheep, nor honey, for as you injure a man by taking from him his garments, thus also you injure a sheep by shearing it. Milk, likewise, was not produced for you, but for the young of the animal that has it. The bee also collects honey as food for itself, which you, by taking away, administer to your own pleasure." Unquote. Porphyry the vegan, 3rd century AD, Neoplatonist philosopher, in the book On Abstinence from Beings with the Soul. Let's jump back further in time. Because Pythagoras was not the only one who was against ritual animal sacrifice in pagan temples. In ancient Egypt, there was a heretic pharaoh. He was called the heretic king by some. Akhenaten was his name. He banned animal sacrifice and traditional Egyptian religion in the temples of Egypt. was generally known as being a vegetarian and pacifist and instituted a religion based on compassion and the belief in following one deity called Aten. He believed in one god, a kind of proto-monotheist or early adapter of monotheist or proto-monotheism in ancient times. The heretic pharaoh king Akhenaten long ago. One wonders, did Moses get influenced by Akhenaten? I'm not the first person to raise that possibility, by the way. That's an old uh, 
question that's been kicking around for centuries, actually. But it does say in the first book of no, uh, the first book of Moses, known as the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one twenty nine. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food, a vegan plant-based diet is the ideal of paradise, the Garden of Eden diet, as revealed in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, here using the New International Version. A vegan ideal, not just veg, but even vegan, totally plant-based ideal, put forth in Genesis chapter 1. Also in ancient times, the celestial song of God of Krishna, known as the Bhagavad Gita, says, One is dearest to God who has no enemies among the living beings, who is non-violent to all creatures. In the, in, in the Srimad Bhagavatam we read, another ancient Hindu scripture, to be non-violent to human beings and to be a killer or enemy of poor animals is an evil philosophy. Another ancient Hindu text from antiquity, from BC times, is the Laws of Manu, a kind of Hindu book of laws. I call it the Hindu Torah. The Hindu Torah, the Laws of Manu. It says in the Laws of Manu, Meat cannot be obtained without injury to animals. He who does not eat meat becomes dear to humanity and will not be tormented by diseases. There is no greater sinner than the one who seeks to increase the bulk of his own flesh by the flesh of other beings. Thus, having well considered the disgusting origin of meat and the cruelty of fettering, and slaying of corporeal beings, let him entirely abstain from eating flesh. Laws of Manu, what I call the Hindu Torah. Another ancient religion, prehistoric actually, from India, is Jainism. The following is from the Yoga Shastra, or Yoga Sutra, an early Jain scripture. Non-injury to all living beings is the only religion. This is the quintessence of wisdom, to not kill anything. All breathing, existing, living, sentient creatures should not be slain nor treated with violence, nor abused, nor tormented, nor driven away. This is the pure and unchangeable law. Therefore cease to injure living beings. All beings love their life, desire pleasure, and do not like pain. They dislike any injury to themselves. Everybody is desirous of life, and to every being his life is very dear. Unquote the Yoga 
Shastra, Sutra, a scripture of Jainism. Two thousand years ago in Egypt, there was a text known as the Prayer of Thanksgiving. It was studied by followers of Hermes Trismegistus and the prayer of thanksgiving, this vegetarian prayer of thanksgiving is found in the epilogue of Asclepius preserved in the Corpus Hermeticum of Egypt in Greek. It also is very popular with various Gnostics and Christian monks who copied it from Greek into the Coptic language And it's preserved in what's now known as the Nag Hammadi Library, one of 50 ancient Gnostic Gospels studied by monks at this Pacomian monastery that operated in the 4th century in Upper Egypt and had a great library of ancient scriptures. A kind of sampler of Sethian and Valentinian and Hermetic and some Greek texts and some other stuff too including the vegetarian prayer of thanksgiving which is a beautiful prayer and at the end of this prayer is this verse when they had said these things in the prayer they embraced each other and they went to eat their holy food which has no blood in it a brief glimpse into community life some Gnostic or Hermetic meal, community meal or love feast that took place long ago. Marvin Meyer has a translation of this particular prayer of thanksgiving in his book called The Gnostic Scriptures. And the footnote at the bottom of the page of this prayer says, Vegetarian food. And in the duplicate of this prayer found this parallel version of the prayer found in the Corpus Hermeticum, we read, and this is the, um, by the way, this is the Sir Walter Scott translation. Having prayed thus, let us betake ourselves to a meal unpolluted by flesh of living things, unquote. The G.R.S. Mead translation of this same passage goes, with this desire we now betake us to our pure and fleshless meal, unquote. And Brian Copenhaver, in his book Hermetica, published by Cambridge University Press, renders it this way. With such hopes we turn to a pure meal that includes no living thing, unquote. Some early church heresy hunters used to require meat-eating on Sundays as a way to discover who the veg Gnostic heretics were in their midst. Since Gnostics were generally vegetarians, anyone refusing to partake of fleshly meals would be suspected of heresy, yes. They always have to cut out early, they can't stay for the fleshly meal. Hmm, they must be Gnostics. The following is a paragraph from the book Gnostic Visions by Luke Myers. While the initial cause for vegetarian Gnosticism has been unknown in the past, 
Many classical Christian authors have documented the Gnostics' widespread practice of vegetarianism. In the 4th century Christian document, it attests that heretical Gnostic Christians were so common and there were so many Gnostic heretics among the clergy and monks of Egypt that in one particular region of Egypt, the patriarch there made eating meat compulsory on Sundays as a way to flesh out the vegetarian Gnostics. A passage from Gnostic Visions by Luke Myers. I read that in a kind of Monty Python, Life of Brian sort of way, but of course it reveals a world uh, where religious freedom doesn't exist, right? That they could, uh, like, say the one and only true religion is meat-eating and uh, anyone who doesn't eat meat is a heretic. Well, I'm glad I don't live in that particular world, as I'm sure you are glad as well. More Egypt. We have Akhenaten, the heretic pharaoh. We have heretic Christians in the 4th century. We have the prayer of thanksgiving that is found in both the Nag Hammadi Library and the Corpus Hermeticum of Egypt. How about something more from Egypt that's veg, pro-veg? Philo of Alexandria describes meals at a therapeutic monastic community in Alexandria, Egypt. A glimpse into a meal at this monastic community to be found in his book on the contemplative life. Philo of Alexandria writes, And the table too is kept clear of animal flesh, nothing which has blood, but there is placed upon it bread for food and salt for seasoning, to which also hyssop is sometimes added." Unquote. The therapeutic, where we get the word therapeutic and healer, was some sort of Jewish monastic group in Egypt, perhaps an Egyptian name for the Essenes, maybe. Or maybe the therapeutic was a different group, not necessarily related to the Essenes, it's hard to say. But they had a, a, an ashram, a monastery, or intentional community just outside the city of Alexandria, Egypt, near a big lake. And you know, that very much reminds me of Qumran in Israel, the alleged Essene monastic community, also near a large body of water, the Dead Sea at uh, Qumran in Israel where it is believed there was an Essene intentional community. Nearby there, that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So in the case of the Essenes of Qumran, we don't have any descriptions of them, what life was like there, just their scriptures. In the case of the Therapeutae of Egypt, we don't have their writings, we don't have their scriptures but we do have some eyewitness uh, descriptions of goings-on there uh, provided to us by Philo of Alexandria in his writings, including on the contemplative life, being our eyes and ears, uh, giving us a glimpse of a meal taking place one day at a therapeutic table. 
in this monastery so long ago. The name of the program is Spiritual Awakening Radio. Today, exploring the history of vegetarianism and veganism in the world religions. There are vegetarian Sikhs, there are vegetarian Druze, vegetarian members of the Baha'i faith of Persia, Sufis of Islam. There are vegetarians everywhere in Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, the Jesus movement, as you'll hear if you check out an earlier podcast in this series on vegetarianism and veganism. And there is a vegetarian future prophesied about as well. Stay tuned for more Spiritual Awakening Radio coming up. History of Vegetarianism and Veganism today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. A vegetarian is someone who does not eat the flesh of animals, doesn't kill animals, doesn't pay someone else to do the dirty work of killing the animals, or doesn't buy them at a grocery store either. Doesn't matter the color of the meat. There are people on some social dating sites like OkCupid that say they're vegetarian, but they eat bacon, they eat chicken. Uh, I guess basically they're just saying that they're vegetarian during their sleep because a true vegetarian does not eat any fish or fowl or meat of any sort, be it red meat or any other color meat. They don't eat anything that once had a face and once had a mama. They do not eat meat. Typically, a vegetarian would be a lacto-vegetarian. That is, they do consume milk and dairy products. Someone who is a vegan is applying ethics and a philosophy of nonviolence consistently across the board, across the spectrum, believing that if it's not okay to eat the cow, why in the world would you want to kill cows just to wear the leather? Doesn't make sense, right? So they don't eat meat, they don't wear leather products, leather shoes, leather belts, coats, hats. They are consistent in their compassion across the spectrum. Vegetarianism in Islam. The following is from... Dr. Gabriel Cousins, his book Conscious Eating. Although vegetarianism is not specifically considered by Islam, there is evidence of some support for it in Islam. Muhammad is quoted as saying, Whoever is kind to the creatures of God is kind to himself. Just interjecting, that's an amazing quote and is very true. Anyone who is a vegetarian is not giving up anything they that's a, a, a bummer or a buzzkill. They're giving up cholesterol. They might be giving up a stroke or heart disease or cancer. But those are great things to be giving up. But it's very true. Whoever is kind to the creatures of God is kind to himself. 
rather than giving up something that that they are going to miss, we're really being compassionate to ourselves when we become vegetarian or vegan. We're giving up suffering. We're reducing not only animal suffering in the world, but we're reducing human suffering too. We're giving up that. What a great saying. Whoever, whosoever is kind to the creatures of God is kind to himself. Back to Gabriel Cousins. The prophet's earliest biographies showed his universal compassion for all creation. He spoke out against the mistreatment of camels and the use of birds for targeting of marksmen. Muhammad was said to prefer vegetarian foods. He was said to eat only pomegranates, grapes, and figs for weeks at a time. He is quoted as saying to some hunters, maim not the brute beasts. At another time, Muhammad said there are rewards for benefiting every animal having a moist liver. In other words, all living creatures. According to Bawa Muhayyadeen, the great Sufi mystic of Islam, in the past the Prophet came and told them, Do not kill, it is a sin. You are taking another life. Unquote. Because the people were not able to follow this teaching, this ideal of Muhammad, then had to limit, Muhammad had to limit, but ultimately allowed the eating of flesh because the people were not of the consciousness that allowed them to go beyond their bloodlust. As in Judaism, the killing of animals was limited by laws that were very difficult to follow. Just commenting or interjecting here, uh, that's quite true of the Western religions. There is an ideal put forth in the beginning, as in Genesis chapter 1, this vegan paradise. And there are prophecies about a vegetarian or vegan future of peace, a golden age of peace, enlightenment, the lion lying down with the lamb, an enlightened society, no more war. But then there is this sort of uh, allowance for the politics of the present tense to continue. So that would be great, but let the killing continue. The killing and dying will continue after these messages. And the same old, same old uh, sacrifice of animals and human beings and wars and all the nonsense of the ages carries on. But you know, we're not stuck with that. We can be free to choose to enter into our own personal golden age here and now. For us, those prophecies can be fulfilled today. We can step into that. And that's how it will happen when enough of the population steps into that reality, makes that kind of choice, then the prophecy is fulfilled. The golden age begins with us. Back to Gabriel Cousins. Many of the Sufis, Islamic mystics, practice vegetarianism for spiritual reasons. The Sufi mystic Hazrat Rabia of Basra would often be surrounded by animals when she meditated in the woods. One day a disciple approached her in the woods and the animals ran away. He felt sad that the animals ran away from him and sought Rabia's advice on the issue. 
She asked him what he had had uh, for lunch that day, what he had eaten that day. When he revealed that he had eaten some animal fat, Rabia explained that the animals ran away from those who eat their flesh. The Islamic mystic Bawa Muhayyadeen, considered by many an Islamic Sufi saint, was a vegetarian. And after the break, I will share with you a reading from Bawa Muhayyadeen, the great Sufi mystic of Philadelphia, I might add, from his book, The Tasty Economical Cookbook, Volume 2. A vegetarian Sufi cookbook published by Bawa Muhayyadeen Fellowship of Pennsylvania, USA. Coming up on Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned. During an interview a few years back, Coleman Barks said to me that he was a devotee of the Sufi mystic Bawa Muhayyadeen and said that Bawa Muhayyadeen used to appear to him in his dreams and his whole basis for legitimate commenting on Rumi poetry, that whole legitimacy, that real connection to Sufism, his whole basis for tackling the project of translating Rumi comes from his connection to Bawa Muhayyadeen of a branch, founder of a branch of Sufi mysticism of Islam. Thought I'd share that with you as I begin reading this passage from Bawa Muhayyadeen quoted by Gabriel Cousins. This is quoted by Gabriel Cousins. Bawa Muhayyadeen. A true human being must have compassion toward all lives. There are so many ways to eat good, clean food without killing or tormenting other lives and without eating the flesh or bones of other lives. If a man eats meat, he will take on the qualities of the animals he eats. The qualities of all these animals can be imbibed by eating their flesh. And once those qualities enter, the man's anger, his hastiness, his animal qualities will increase. The animal's blood will intermingle with his blood. These animal qualities are what causes one man to murder another, to harm and torment another." What an amazing paragraph! And there he's actually kind of paraphrasing Pythagoras, who said that as long as people keep eating animals, you know, if they have no qualms about killing animals, they don't really have a problem with killing each other too, as in war. And that is certainly another way of describing human history up to now, for sure. Amazing passage from Bawa Muhayyadeen. From my own conversations with followers of Bawa Muhayyadeen, I can say 
that they believed that uh, not only Rabia of Basra, but other great Sufi saints of the past, including Hafiz, Jaaladin Rumi, Shams of Tabriz, and other Sufis were vegetarians. And indeed, there is a pocket of vegetarianism in the Islamic world. Earlier, I read some passages from Abdul Baha of the Baha'i faith of Persia. You know, that's a good example of that. In Persia, once upon a time, the prophet Manin, the Manichaeans, they were a vegetarian Gnostic religion. Iran was their home as well. There is a cultural basis for vegetarianism in the Persian Empire and in modern-day Iran as well. There is a pocket of vegetarianism. So the belief that Rumi could have been vegetarian and not halal. There's a real basis for that. In that part of the world, there is a vegetarian tradition in that region of the world, which actually is a very rich place for many different religions. Zoroastrianism, Hermetic Gnosis, Syriac Christianity, Sufi mysticism, the Mandaeans, Yazidis. I mean, it is a rich and diverse place. The cradle of civilization, if you will. A lot going on there for millennia in the religion department, for sure, including vegetarian, mystical, and spiritual movements. Bawa Mahayadin is quoted by Gabriel Cousins. When a man's mind attains a state of completeness and wisdom, and when he reaches a state where he will not hurt any life within himself in one's mind, then he will not harm anything on the outside either. Inside he will not intend to harm or pain to any other life, nor will he do anything harmful or eat any life on the outside. This is a state of wisdom, clarity, and the light of God. This is Sufism. Man is such a dangerous animal, and it is only when he changes his behavior that he becomes a good man, a true human being. When he changes into a good man, he will no longer have within himself the thoughts of killing or gaining victory over another life. He will not have within himself the qualities of distressing other lives, of wanting to harass or ruin other lives. If he does not kill anything on the inside, then he will not kill anything on the outside. Bawa Mahayadeen, a Sufi saint from the United States, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who passed on a few years ago, but his books are in print, and he was a great Sufi saint in our midst for many decades. And by way of Coleman Barks, has helped the Western world to discover the mystical poetry of Jaaladeen, Rumi as well. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. So how is it that you have vegetarian religions in the beginning, but then that vegetarianism is erased 
I mentioned earlier the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten, known as the heretic king, the early monotheist, and also early vegetarian against animal sacrifice in the temples of Egypt. Later pharaohs kind of scratched out, graffitied over some of the hieroglyphics and images of him, tried to erase him from history. That happens quite often. So you don't get to know about the veg pharaoh because some have tried to erase him from history. That's true of early Christianity too. The Gospel of the Hebrews, gone. Gospel of the Ebionites, you can't read it except for a few passage passages quoted by early church fathers. Gone, burned, sacrificed, censored, eradicated from our midst. So sometimes you have vegetarianism going on early on, and then it gets erased by those that come after. Romans and other followers, zealous followers of later pharaohs and so on. More about this erasing of the past. After the break, you're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned. A History of Vegetarianism and the Great World Religions, today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. If you'd like to receive some of the quotes I've shared on today's program or get in touch with me, send me an email at this address, james at spiritualawakeningradio.com. james at spiritualawakeningradio.com. Visit my website, spiritualawakeningradio.com where you'll find a donate button, buttons that lead you to podcasts, blogs, daily spiritual quotes at social media like Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter, and much more at the website spiritualawakeningradio.com. History does get tampered with. Sometimes history is removed, books are burned, forbidden, some graffiti gets made trying to erase some of our past. That heretic pharaoh I talked about earlier, Akhenaten, he fell out of favor and some references to him got scraped off the walls or badly damaged or graffitied over. There are some of the hieroglyphics in Egypt referring to him as some tried to erase him from history. He was the veg pharaoh or proto-monotheist pharaoh long ago who banned animal sacrifice in Egyptian temples, but those ideas were seen as heretical and troubling later on, and some tried to erase him. I have a photo of an icon image found on a catacomb wall underground showing St. Paul the Apostle standing shoulder to shoulder with a female apostle by the name of Thecla. Only someone came along somewhere along the way and tried to erase Thecla, picked up a stone and 
started scraping her image off the wall, revealing to us two things. One, once upon a time, it was okay for women to be apostles in early Christianity. Thecla was a successor of St. Paul. And two, that concept of female leadership, female apostles, fell out of favor, at least with someone who picked up a stone and tried to erase Thecla from our history. During the second century, someone made an Aramaic copy of the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels. And this Syriac Aramaic version of Luke chapter 31, verse 34, has a saying of Jesus that's a bit longer than that same saying in Luke 21:34 found in most of the Greek manuscripts that Bible translators rely upon these days. It reads like this in the old Syriac Aramaic translated into English here. Jesus says, Be on guard so that your hearts do not become heavy with the eating of flesh, with the intoxication of wine, and with the anxiety of the world, and that day come upon you suddenly. For as a snare it will come upon all those who dwell upon the surface of the earth. If you compare this Aramaic version with the Greek that's translated into English in other modern translations of Luke 21:34, you'll see that some of this saying of Jesus has been removed, making this veg reference, the eating of flesh part, no longer there. There once were veg gospels as well. The Gospel of the Ebionites, the Gospel of the Nazareans, and the Gospel of the Hebrews. But those were declared heretical. They were quoted by early church fathers, and that's why we know of them. Some of the contents of them has uh, been uh, discussed by various church fathers. But after the 4th century, even commentary on them disappeared as these forbidden Gospels have been erased from history. John the Baptist is described in the New Testament as a bug-eater who ate locusts. But there is a Greek word which can be translated as locust the bug or locust beans referring to a form of bean. John the Baptist belonged to a group of ascetics who believed in repentance and in leading an austere lifestyle. The carabine was seen as the diet of the lower class who normally endured hardship and exploitation from the priestly class. So we can conclude that John the Baptist ate locust plant seed from the carob tree. The entry for John the Baptist at wikianswers.com We also know from a surviving verse of the Gospel of the Ebionites quoted by an early church father that John the Baptist ate carob beans, ate bread or cakes made from carob bean or locust bean flour. So once again, got to watch those Greek manuscripts and how the bias of some Roman scholar can erase a little bit of vegetarian history. So how do you have a vegetarian Jesus 
and veg gospels, but eventually dueling gospels, pro-meat Paul gospels. The same is true in Buddhism. You have dueling sutras, pro-veg sutras of the Buddha and pro-meat sutras. As these religions grow, as millions of millions of people swell their ranks, there is an alteration, there is a change. Some of the Roman dietary customs come along with all those Romans that sign up and join Christianity. Thus, the dueling Gospels, pro-meat Gospels, pro-veg Gospels. Millions of people make Buddhism a popular world religion, swelling the ranks there. There, too, bringing their meat-eating ways with them, and you end up with pro-meat sutras sooner or later to compete with the pro-veg sutras of the Buddha. Same is true of Sikhism. Guru Nanak was very much a vegetarian. And yet, as Sikhism grew and became a world religion, there are many Sikhs these days that eat meat, despite all of the veg references in the Sikh scriptures and Guru Nanak's stance on the subject. Dueling sutras, dueling gospels, dueling traditions, as millions sign up and make an obscure spiritual movement into a world religion. Thanks for joining me today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. Thank you.